This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here, and in association with my good friends at Preaching Today and Food for the Hungry, I bring you a podcast that hopefully helps you get better at the craft of teaching and preaching and communication while always hoping that your character leads the way. And today, I, I'm excited because I get to, uh, many of you know him, but I get to, for those, the few that don't, I get to introduce you to um, a sage. You know, the, 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 those guys that you get around that um, they ask the question that's behind the statement. They ask the, the difficult, provoking, provocative uh, question, or they articulate something in such a way that takes what you've always known, um, but somehow you see it all afresh again. Um, his name is Mark Scandrett. Um, I met him years ago in San Francisco. Um, we went dumpster diving of all um, paces and um, spaces. Uh, he he taught my friend Aaron and I a ton about practice, um, not just teaching for application, but teaching and having practices and formation. And um, he's got this amazing book. It dropped last year and it's it's on the Beatitudes. And we're going to talk about that. It's the ninefold path of Jesus. It's all about this hidden wisdom that, um, again, he just can draw out and provoke within. Um, it's amazing. Um, and then we went on a trip last year together and um, he was he was a real guide and a real part of my journey of healing. And so I, we'll, we'll jump into that because it was super, super character formation for me. So without further ado, the one, the only, Mark Scandrat. Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast, my friend. Great to be with you, Steve. Hey, man, as as we say, as we said on the Camino, Stefan Karsten. Stefan Karsten. I, <laughs> you know, when you check into different hostels and they they look at your name with a PH, they don't know what to call you. And then <laughs> when they they look at your last name Carter, and they still get it wrong. I it just it just sticks. It just sticks. So, <laughs> um, man, I, you know you you have uh, seen so much of the church landscape over the last 30, 40 years. And you have um, been in some of the most influential places and spaces. And um, the wisdom that you've acquired and is, is something that I just, I, my friends and I, we, we just love to sit around uh, a charcuterie board and just like, just <laughs> glean from you. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, this is obviously a preaching podcast. It's something you do, you, you facilitate, you, but I feel like there's this, there's this thing that many of us were taught in Bible college or seminary on how to transfer information, mm -hmm. um, but few knew how to speak from an actual transformed place. And I, mm -hmm. I feel like what you embody is a sermon in itself, but I, I, I'm curious, like, how, how do you get, I guess how to say it is, how do you get this deeper transformation to kind of come out and flow 
um, and not just transferring of information when you preach? Yeah. Well, for me, it started with being a young preacher and realizing no matter how well I communicated, I didn't really see it bringing transformation in the lives to the people that I was communicating with. Wow. And and I would try and I did my exegetical work and I would kind of wrestle in my soul about the, the implications and applications to life. I'd have great stories and um, sometimes props and I'd get people acting things out. Like this is some serious high level entertainment here or educate, edutainment. How do I, I can't even say it, but, um, <laughs> but it was dismaying to me that I felt like after a while I was just giving a book report every week on things that my mind was animated by and my heart. Um, but it didn't, it didn't lead to life change. And I did that desperate move that maybe, maybe you've done before, Steve, where you go, this, what, what we're talking about today really matters. It should really change your life. Like we should walk out of here doing, ready to do something different. And I'd get those polite handshakes and, you know, nothing would change. So I started interrogating the contract between the communicator and whoever's listening. And sometimes to bring this out now, when I preach, I'll say, I just want to state the contract that we have right now. And I'm, I want to consider us changing it. So the contract is I I'm up here. I've got the power. I've got the microphone. And um, I know that my job is to be um, like wise and, and um, give you some good, good information, maybe move you emotionally and um, hopefully tell a few jokes that make you laugh and do something that makes you like me. And your job is to, to, to like, look at me, give me some like respond, maybe, you know, make me feel good by taking some notes, uh, you know? And, um, and I said, let's be honest. If that's what we're doing, it doesn't change me. And it also doesn't change you. So could we reconsider what, what's going on between us? What if instead of just sharing information, I share my, a little deeper of my story and I, I risk some vulnerability, but how about if you do too? And if we stop once or twice and I invite you to turn and speak to somebody near you, we might get up and do something in our bodies. And then towards the end, I'm going to invite you to consider taking on a practice with me this week that's related to what we're exploring. And I'm really going to do it. And I'd invite you to do it with me. What if we try it? And I, I try and get their consent because it is a change in contract. And then we go, go on our way. So I don't always do this, but I have kind of something in mind when I'm going to be, um, when I'm going to be communicating from the stage about some of my goals. Um, but before I get to that, can I say, say one other interesting thing? I Please think, I, I think that preaching and the, the, that center gathering is the most resource intensive, but possibly the least transformative thing that happens in the life of a local congregation. Sorry I mean, to <laughs> no. I mean, this is this is this is why we do this. I mean, this the you, you've been around this, you've seen it. Um, talk more about that. Yeah, and so we've got to find a different uh, a different contract. Like, really, to th- I, I think it's worth considering 
how does transformation happen? And I think some key characteristics are it happens through relationship. It happens through, it happens through vulnerability and it happens through taking on, having new experiences and making new choices. So we've got to find a way to translate that into this venue that, you know, a lot of us don't have a choice about where there's going to be a, a gathering and someone's going to have be doing some communicating, but how can we do it in a little bit more interesting way? I'll throw out, I'll throw out one other curious thing that I, because I study a little bit of neuroscience and I know probably a lot of your listeners have too. And um, when it's, so have you ever had that experience where you're watching a television show like uh, I like, or an action movie. And I know for me, like sometimes my feet sweat and I get, my heart starts to race. Like if I'm watching an action movie or a heist movie or something like that. And I've literally done nothing. I'm laying on my couch, but my body is thinking it's having some incredible, you know, that I'm Jason's, uh, you know, stone. So, or like Jason Bourne or something like that. But I think a similar thing sometimes happens when we communicate powerfully, um, where if I tell a, and I, and I used to go around and do this, I would tell, I, I had a, I wrote in a book about a very dramatic relationship I had with a trans person who was unhoused and the remarkable way we developed a friendship and how I saved their life. And I wrote about it in my first book and I would go around the country incorporating that into preaching. And it really moved people and it sort of disturbed people. And, um, and I, I was a heroic, yeah, I was the hero of the story. Yeah. And I gradually, especially as I learned about some of this brain science, I thought, you know, I think like probably what's going on is when I tell that story, people hear themselves in the story and it's almost like they're going, I did that. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. And it actually, the net effect possibly from a, a, a neurological perspective is I did it. I don't have to exercise compassion. Like, I, you know, th there's something tricky that goes on our, our brains. So I'm curious about interrogating what we do with even powerful stories and, and whether it's useful or not. Yeah. And sometimes people would come up to me afterwards and say, you're awesome. And I think that's not really the goal of this this contract. Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, maybe from my for my ego, if that's what you're getting out of it, that that would be great. But I I'd like to think our goal is to help invite people into Christ likeness. So, um, so I'd hope that instead I could communicate in a way where they'd say what you shared connected with something I in my life, mm. and I feel more equipped to take a new step to follow the Jesus way, you know, like, yeah, well, and, and, and I think what's interesting too is um, if you, I was just researching and like reading about this because I was so drawn. I'm like, man, how did we get these massive auditoriums? You know, and, and you realize like the, the first century, like synagogues, they were kind of like U-shaped with tables and like you, it was over a meal, like these, these yeah. first gatherings, you know, and it was, wasn't until Constantine, that basically was like turn the amphitheater 
into, oh, no, no, this is how it can. And you began to see this like shift happening and you realize like, oh my goodness, like we got away from that shared meal in so many ways to the, the bigger and more resourced opportunity. But I love, I love, and and, and I've seen you do this so many times, but I love that your constant focus, again, breaking down that contract, but really giving them a practice to mm-hmm. kind of put on this week to grow in that Christ likeness. My question is if if I handed you a, a text and let's let's say the Beatitudes because you do a great yeah. job and you know the, the ninefold path of Jesus. If I gave you one of those, you know, um, blessed mm-hmm. are the poor, does what like come to mind first is the practice? Is is the practice the last like is you start to shape and form kind of the movement where you are kind of flipping the classroom a little bit. Um, you're mm-hmm. giving, you're creating the space for them to chop and ask questions and interact and stand mm-hmm. up. But really, is it, is it, I'm leading them towards this practice? Am I like, I, I guess I'm asking, how do you frame that talk and what, what's the starting point? Yeah. I'm, I mean, obviously I've got to do a little bit of exegetical work and yeah. some cross referencing and looking at themes. But it, pretty soon I am going to want to go. What are we going to do and what can, what are we going to, at the end of this, what are we going to be able to do in response to the reality that this text points us to, Mm. you know, how to, you know, what's, what's the step we can take. So particularly with, you know, blessed are the poor or the poor in spirit. I really think that text is about our tendency towards anxiety and worry Mm. and, you know, what is poverty? Poverty is when you don't have enough or you think you don't have enough. Something's lacking. So I also want to, I, I like to keep it. Well, I'll, I'll say my first step in preparation is after doing some of that ex- exegetical work, ask the question, what is the human ache that this passage is addressing? Yeah. And how can I help surface that so that I can get the, the listeners to lean in because if we just share wise things without identifying the struggle, it's just, it just flies over. It doesn't, doesn't go in. And, and as we know, like if you've looked at adult learning theory, adults are not empty containers that can be filled with knowledge. Adults have had life experiences, um, they want they need to know why why should i care about this and yep. so i i think that first step naming the ache is key so um i'll think wow well this this is a text about worry and anxiety and it seems like we have two choices we could either live with closed handedness where we're living in anxiety worry and a striving or we could learn to move from that first instinct into a posture of trust and openness and receptivity. So I want to help people in that talk move from the default of closed handedness to open handedness. Yeah. So there's a couple things I have to do to get there. Uh, First is to name the ache. So what I'll do, what, what I did for, at least with that first beatitude, and I've done this, 
I've, I've, I've done it in Chicago land. I've done it many places around the world, but I'll go, Hey, today I want to, we're going to look at this beatitude, but um, let me start by just talking about things I tend to worry or have anxiety about. Mm. And, um, and, and I want you to start thinking as well about things that you, you tend to worry about, but let me go first. And, so I'll say, yeah, you know, I worry about my significance. And every time I get on an airplane to go somewhere, I start to, f- I often feel anxious. Are they going to like me? Are they going to think I'm wise? Uh, or am I going to miss this opportunity? Um, I sometimes worry about my kids and their future. I worry about my my middle-aged body. And it's got lumps and bumps where I don't want them to be, you know? <laughs> um, and... Um, I worry about my financial future. Am I going to have enough in old age to to live when I'm too old to work? And then I'll say, so how about, so I've given you, maybe you weren't worrying when you came in today, but now you're starting to think about it because I've been tell, talking about it. So I'll usually give, I, I like to get do something interactive. So I'll often give, I'll hand out sticky notes and I'll say, I've given you five sticky notes. I want you to write your top five worries and just do them in sentence form. I worry that, or I feel anxious about. And whenever you're done, I want you to come up to the stage here, or we'd have stations around the room, and I want you to stick stick your worries up on there. And no one's going to know it's you. This is anonymous, yeah. but you're. But I'm inviting you to take a little risk. And then once they've done that, I say thank you for taking a step of vulnerability. And then I'll have male and female voices read off a sample. And man, very predictably, this takes us to a space where it's like, wow, um, this is the real stuff that we're struggling with in our lives. Yeah, You know, somebody said, uh, I worry that I'll never find a partner. Another person, I worry that I won't be able to put groceries on the table for my kids this month, you know, and, and on and on. And so he goes, and then, then they're primed. I say, so, we all have worries, and then we explore them a little bit. What is worry? Why do we do it? What's the difference between a worry and a concern? So these are things that I might have one points I might have wanted to make, but they're but they're in the context of this conversation we're already in that yeah. we're invested in together. And then this, my second step, uh, it, at least in my prep process, is I want to proclaim kingdom reality meaning that that passage is trying to help us see life as it actually is and my understanding is most of us live from a well we all live to a certain extent from a distorted perception of who god is who we are and how life works so what's reality? What's Jesus trying to get us towards, you know, with this text? And I think particularly with this passage and as it relates to other parts of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is presenting us with the possibility that we could live significantly free of worry and anxiety. Yeah. And and then I'll say to the 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 room is that imagine what that would be like. Yeah. Yeah. Is that something that you, if you could have it, is that something you would want? And you can see like the response. Wow. It, that sounds too good to be true, but yes, I would love to have less worry and anxiety in my life. And I'll say, well, for the rest of our talk, 
our re- rest of our time, I want to explore some strategies that might help us with that. Yeah. And then, and then th- that gets us to the third thing is that um, I want people to have an experience and, or do an exercise in the room that helps us integrate some of this. So um, for, for that talk, one of the things that I, I mentioned two strategies, one is getting curious about your worry or anxiety and identifying what your attachment to that is. And I'll use an example like, um, you know, I think I worry about, um, I worry about um, what, ha- how I'm going to do when I get in an airplane to go fly somewhere to be with a group. Because it kind of feels like my ego's on the line every time. Yeah. If I do good, I can feel good about myself. <laughs> if I don't do well or aren't received, wah, wah, wah. So that tells me that I have a relationship with my work where I'm trying to earn a sense of worthiness. And is there a different way of seeing it? Could I go, no, my, my sense of well-being is based on who I know myself to be as a beloved child of God. And what's the worst thing that could happen? I go somewhere and I totally miff it. I don't get invited back. Um, and I'll have, have to find something else to do with my time and a different way to make money. <laughs> Is that the worst thing in the world? No, maybe, may, maybe I find out I'm not that good, but there's something else that would be more rewarding for me to do. Can I be open-handed about this? Or am I saying the only way I could be happy is if I'm the most effective and beloved communicator on the planet? Yes. Oh my goodness, man. That's, I love that, you know, and, and I think for what that, what that speaks to me is I, there's so many sermons I'll listen to and someone hasn't named that ache or that problem. Mm. And then, and, and so that's, that's a struggle for me personally, because I'm like, well, what, what's in this for me? I know that sounds, but like, I'm sitting there listening. I'm like, like you said, like, I, I, I'm there expectant that someone's going to offer and help me engage and learn that. But I love the second piece is that, that kingdom reality, because, I, you know, anybody who's walking into a church setting for the most part, they have good desire. I think oftentimes mm-hmm. in the church, we've shamed mm-hmm. desire. So I love what you're doing is with the, the naming the, a clear ache and letting them do it, not just you, but them. Yeah. Then naming that clear does good desire. And, mm-hmm. but that practice piece so that when they find themselves drifting into the space, they can go back and go, oh, I actually, I practiced this in yeah. a room and then we talked about it yeah on a thursday at a bar and we like we we chopped about it and like and 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 it's starting to help me actually embody that beatitude and yeah. and you i mean you've just done this like you have um not just taught but you have shown so many people how to embody um Christ likeness and I it it's it it was so different for me than what I was taught because I was taught own the room yeah. move the yeah. room da 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 and it just began to go oh man how how do we how do we do this in a way that we help our people actually embody this 
So a lot of times when I guest speak places, I'll say, I want to try something a little more interactive. And they'll say, it won't work here. (laughs) (laughs) Like not with these people. And I'll say, well, I'm going to ask their permission and get some consent first. And then let's just see what happens. So at this point, I'm on my third step. Let's do, let's have an experience in the room. So after I share me being curious about my worry, I say, I want you to turn to the person next to you, tell them one of your worries, and then go through that same process that I went through. Why do I worry about this? What's, what's the potential attachment I have? And what would it look like for me to be open-handed and to not say my happiness is dependent on getting my way? Yeah. And um, one, one time in particular, and then, and so I give them not a long time, of course, you don't have a long time, but I'll, I'll pull them back together. And one time when I did this, um, I just, well, I'll usually say, what was that like for you? And actually try and hear from a couple people. And the oldest people in the room at this one church in their, in their seventies, they said, we just talked between us. And I learned something about my spouse I'd never heard, knew before. And that vulnerability really brought us to a new place of intimacy in our relationship. I'm going, in the middle of the sermon, this is happening. This is awesome, right? Yes. yes. Um, and then and then we, I suggested one other um, practice where sometimes the worry comes to us in our minds, but sometimes anxiety arises from the body. So we need some, a somatic tool as well. And so I said, let's just, let's just take a moment, think about those things you're carrying. And I want you to close your eyes, hold your hands out. And if our first instinct is to be close handed, I want you to right now, choose to open your hands in receptivity. And let's just sit and breathe deep in the presence of our creator trusting that in this moment we have everything we need yeah and we you will in the next moment like this is a safe universe to live in and i'll let them experience that for a minute or two and i said next time you feel anxiety arising pause breathe deep center yourself and it might even help you to have a breath prayer and i give a couple of examples of some potential breath prayers so that takes me through to um, the to, uh, to the next the, the the fourth step is that I want to formally invite them into a practice. So I said, so we're not going to be able to fully integrate what we've been exploring just in this thirty minutes, but I'd invite you to try on two things this week. One is take some time and actually journal out your curiosity about your worry. And I've, you, I usually try and think through it ahead of time. I say, so there's, I've set up a Facebook group um, where I've listed the journal questions and I'll be posting mine later today. And I welcome you to, too. But you, if you want to be part of this experiment, you can sign up there. And then the fifth step, and this is, this is key, is there needs to be some follow-up. So a lot of preachers are trying to, bring application and they'll they'll throw out a great idea on a practice but if it's but if you never check in about it then it's like every week it's like 
there Steve is telling us to try to try this other practice. We don't even know if he did it, right? Yes. But, and so there's got to be some way to check in. So yeah. sometimes it can happen in that, in that Facebook group, you know, so, but other times if I'm there the next uh, week, I'll say, Hey, we looked at this last week. I wonder how many of you tried those practices that we talked about. And I get a raise of hands. Sometimes I can even say, I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, here's, here's what that, here's what I tried about that practice this week. Or when I think about worry and anxiety, you know, even if they weren't heard here the week before to hear the talk, I'll say, what, where was worry and anxiety showing up in your week and how did you deal with it? So everybody has something to talk about, but that starts to subtly shift the culture where it's like, we not only try to give practical application, but we support each other uh, in that. Um, back at the practice, one of the things that ways we did this is we'd say, if you took on the practice, come 20 minutes early, we'll have some ta tables set up with the questions on them. And you can talk with other people who tried out. Yeah. So no, there's I, lots of ways to do it. Yeah. But I think, I think that's a really great piece because again, if you have 52 weekends in the year and count good Friday, count uh, Christmas Eve services, you're, you're potentially up to 54. And, and the pressure of like every week to have a new talk, a new yeah. idea. And then it's like, what, do, what did we teach on in January? And, and it could have been a, a, a practice of fasting, but then it's like, Oh yeah, we, we, we like, we, we talked about that. That was last Sunday. And now we're on to the next one and the next one. And it's like, we missed that opportunity to see it actually get embodied in our people and to learn from it. And so that intentionality, Mark, I think is amazing. I want to shift because I love the, I love those five principles, just, um, ache, just name it, that kingdom reality give people an experience, um, a practice, and then that follow-up. I have those five, right? That's, yeah, that's, you nailed okay. it. Yeah, and I just, I think that's really, really helpful. And I'm thinking for a lot of you um, preachers out there, I mean, get really good at naming the problem and the ache. Um, you do that, it creates a level of connection and work on that kingdom vision. Man, that's so good. But those last three, whoo, if you can start to put those into practice, you're going to see um, the Christ-likeness just start to happen. The questions, the um, just the, the wrestling people will have, but people are going to get to actually see them living into that new life. And you you really do this so well in the ninefold path of Jesus where I really feel like you, you, you kind of... Um, all of these truths and you just, you just kind of gave one around blessed are the poor in spirit around like anxiety and worry. And it's like, you like lift up a rock and, and there's like all of this gold underneath and it, and it's all been there, but I just, I, it was somehow hidden this wisdom, this insight, and you just keep walking us through that. And I have some ideas of how I think this book should and could be a real great resource for a lot of local churches around the, around the world. But I, I want to start and just, can you give me the backstory? What, what led you to write this and what's your hope yeah. for it? Yeah. So back in 2011, I published a book called Practicing the Way of Jesus. Great book. And it, it was a book about, um, hey, um, 
like we're not going to be well-formed as disciples of Jesus just by being in the college lecture hall. And I think, I think the Sunday, ga- the weekend gathering is like the college lecture hall. As I said, so we need something. The way Jesus functioned as rabbi was more like a karate studio than a college lecture hall. Yeah. People can't, they, they had to come ready to, to suit up, to do work. He sent them out on adventures and uh, of course, he did talk to thousands of people sometimes, but it was always on the way to deeper conversations and shared action together. And so, how do we how do we create that fuller picture? So, um, in 2015, a group in London contacted me, and they'd read "Practicing the Way of Jesus," and they're like, "Man, we want to do something around the Beatitudes." And you seem to be, you've got these skills about helping, helping take scripture and, and make it practical. Would you join us in doing that with, with this passage? And I was like, that sounds awesome. I'd love to. And I'd been looking for like, for a while of like, if you had to summarize the main themes in the, in the Jesus way, Mm. how would you do that? And in, in my previous book, I used the Lord's Prayer as the summary, but I was like, the Beatitudes, man, that's nine statements. Um, they come at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And I also, I actually think it, the Beatitudes might be like the table of contents for the Sermon on the Mount, yeah. which is, um, you know, thought to be the most concise presentation of Jesus' way. Yeah. Um, so we started to play with it. And I did come up with some practices for each of them, partly based on 10 or 15 years of experience we'd had helping people on those similar themes. But then, um, but then I was like, something's not singing here. It just feels like a bunch of stuff. What's the glue that holds it together? And we're like, uh, we we really wrestled with it. Uh, maybe maybe you've ha- had this happen, Steve, too, where you get halfway done preparing something, and then you just go, "It's not working." Yeah, it's not. I'm not excited enough. Uh, this doesn't seem to be landing enough in the heart, my heart, or anybody else's. But it's true. It's good, and so um, that's where I got to this concept of what if Jesus is naming nine default instincts of the human condition and that to really be free to really flourish in life we need to um we're being jesus is inviting us to shift from those first instincts into a new posture for life so we just sat there in the room uh, in the circle and i named th- those sort of aches for each of them and i said tell us a story about that from your life and kind of pointed at people. And it's like, okay, now, now I'm leaning in. Um, everyone knows what it's like to, to feel anxious. You get to the second beatitude, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. One of our first instincts is to want to run away from pain yeah. and numb out or distract ourselves. This is like a universal experience. Um and so Jesus offers us an alternative to that. Instead of running, what if we take the time to sit with what's hard, to grieve it, to complain to God, to mourn with each other? Maybe a deeper source of comfort could come to us. 
so we just kind of walked through the Beatitudes like that. And it, and they really started singing much more than they had uh, before. Well, I mean, that's amazing. Um, it, it, what I love about these kinds of conversations is, especially with someone like you, is you'll say something and I'm like, oh, I have to press into that. Um, the book does sing. I mean, it, it, there's so, like each of these chapters, but you said something that I think is so important and every preacher, every preacher who's any good has gotten to that place that you just described where I have an idea. I thought it was going to go. I thought something wanted to happen. I still have this inkling of hope. Something wants to happen from this. I just can't see it. What does Mark Scandrett do when he knows there's gold here? He just can't seem to get it. Like what, what are, what are some of the couple of things you yeah. do just to, to find it? I think, um, I'm a big advocate of um, cr- preparing things in community. Yeah. So uh, on a lot of my projects, I end up being the lead creator where I've done a lot of the work. But at some point, I need to test it out with some other people and see what their reaction is. And sometimes they'll just call my BS on it or... Um, it won't really connect. Sometimes there'll be a disagreement and it it's like this creative tension yeah. that helps us get to a deeper thing. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it, it, it's not, it's not efficient. Sometimes you got to sit in it for a while. Um, yeah. I actually, I was, I was help, I was working on a message when I was in London a couple months ago and we were looking at, like the invitation to evangelism uh, that we wanted to do something with it. Some people had really t- like that word didn't sound good to them. It had some toxic things in their background. Somebody else said, you know, I want to share, I want to share about Jesus because I want Jesus to be glorified because he gave his life for us on the cross. And I just went, I, I, because I'm Christian, I know what you're saying, but if I didn't have this background, what you're saying doesn't make any sense to me. So start speaking English. Speak speak to me in a way I can connect with. And we were almost like voices raised, re, not really antagonistic, but I was I was you know with a little playfulness, and I kept pushing them. What the what in the world do you mean? Yeah, because that doesn't sound good to me. You yep. want me to believe in Jesus so Jesus can be glorified? You get to be a Christian to get that. So he goes, he, so in frustration he goes, we just, we have this treasure and it's so precious. I want people to experience everything that were, they were made for. And I go, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Yes. Yeah. Now you're tapping into a universal longing. I know that life is, is about more than just what I'm seeing. I know, I want to believe that my snore story connects with a bigger story. And so we kind of arrived at this. Uh, I, saw, I also like these quick little phrases that are connected to maybe even a body posture. So we worked on it together and, he, and we went, we have... Uh, we, we have this treasure inside of us. Let's explore it together. Mm. And suddenly evangelism, which wow. is a nasty, you know, uh, ugly, weird, controversial word, suddenly 
our imaginations are opened that, wow, we get to explore our stories together and see how it's connected to a bigger story. That's what this is. Man, that's, that's so good. And I think getting the people in the room and, and just interrogating it, pushing it, pushing Mm -hmm. it, pushing it. I mean, it, it always, if you have the right people in the room can't, and there's the right trust and safety and you're, you're so good at this is the right kind of playfulness, the right kind of challenge. Um, but the right level of, um, contrarian, um, Mm -hmm. which, which a contrarian actually believes in the person and believes in the idea. That's why they're contrarian. You know, people often forget that, but they, to try and push at it. Um, and I, and I can feel that with each of the nine Beatitudes, these nine statements that you just have like sat with and really, and I love how you said that, like you, universal longing, that ache. And I, I was thinking about this because I think that for so many people right now, they are wrestling with finding content that can really inspire the imagination, really speak in a way that's contextually and accurate, but also speaks to with a level of relevance and, and, and longing to today, but also something that's tangible that it can be tried on and applied mm-hmm. in a, not like in a, here's seven steps to do this, this, and this, but in an actual like imposture and, and then this sharing. And, and I just feel like this book is, is at like a really, really important time. Um, I know it released last year, but I, I, I feel like this is a, a book and they, they talk about this in publishing, like a long tail. Like it just, mm-hmm. it's, it's the shelf life, just like the practice in the way of Jesus. I mean, I feel like that book is so, so critical to kingdom movements today, but like this book in these nine fold path, um, I just think it's one of those, those books that you could literally do start, start the new year, start 2024 and just do nine beatitudes at the universal longings. Like, and then, and then like actually have your small groups chop this whole thing up and just sit with it and wrestle with it in community. I'm, I, I'm just telling you, um, I think I think you could even if you, if you're like one of those services that just have like a Wednesday night that's your that's your hardcore like disciple making strat I think this could be an amazing amazing resource. I think this is even an amazing resource for staff development for many of you like who are just you've got a a staff team of 100 you got a staff team of 50 you got a staff team of 10 to like start being able to identify these nine universal longings, I just have begun to see the potential going, man, this, this, this book spoke to me personally. And I remember like just talking with Mark about this. I'm like, man, this thing needs to be in so many more conversations. Cause I just, I'm feeling like the Beatitudes are more relevant today than ever before, more needed mm. than ever before. Going into a political <laughs> next presidential, like, we need the Beatitudes. We need the sermon on that. We need the kingdom reality. Yeah. Um, Mark, what, what, do you, what do you think? I'm just speaking my heart on what I think it could be, like push back on that. Um, and then I could push back on you and maybe we can get to a uh, yeah. make it sing. But like, <laughs> what's, what's, a, what's a good idea of how you see when you wrote this, how you envisioned... Yeah. These nine 
these nine ideas getting like entrenched in the heart of people. I mean, if, you know, Jesus presents, I think in the Sermon on the Mount, a manifesto for a whole new way of yes. being. Yes. And I think, what you know, one of the things I was struck with is that we say in a lot of circles I'm in, we say we want to follow Jesus. And then we don't have hardly any idea in our, our or clear ideas in our mind about what that would look like. Right. So it's sort of a cliche um, shorthand, but if, if it's just a sentiment and it doesn't have tangible content to it, we're never going to actually follow this way. And so I feel like the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount give handles for that. So, so I can like, based on those aches, I can say, you know, Jesus invites us into a way of open-handed trust, or I'll just go through the shifts, you know, to go from close-handedness to open-handedness, to go from avoiding pain to sitting with it, to go from trying to earn our sense of identity to uh, receiving it, to go from being apathetic about what's wrong with the world to embracing our power to do good, to move from judgment and contempt to compassion and forgiveness, you know, to move from hiding and pretending to being wholehearted and authentic, to move from focusing on what divides us to reaching across differences to make peace and be family, to go from um, like retaliating when we suffer to um, to that, that nonviolent resistance and to continuing to do good no matter what the cost from fear, from a, you know, a, a fear and self-protection to moving into hope and radical love with how we live. So those are, you know, I've just kind of gone through the Beatitudes there, but getting that picture is really compelling. And I think that can easily be done in a, in a weekend gathering. I really think most people need some kind of smaller group setting with a little more time to both talk out where they experience that human ache and also the kind of support to say, let's try on these, let's try on these things this week. So in the book um, and in the curriculum that goes along with it, there's a suggested journal entry, daily habit, and then what we call the experiment, some new action to take during the week. And if people will actually do those things, they're really transformative. Uh, we, we do the, we, um, for leaders, we do an online lab to help people get kind of the DNA of, of this way of communicating and leading. And, uh, one of the guys had been a, he'd been a vicar in the UK for 40 years since he said, this has been the most transformative experience of my entire Christian life. Wow. Because we were being honest. Yeah. And we were taking on practices together. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I, I remember, Mark, that we had a, a moment where we were talking about identity and you, you had us kind of name some stuff where we were finding our identity in and, and then, and then you had us like do the posture where we put our hands over our hearts yeah. and just like, yeah. and then other brothers began to like speak where yeah. who we actually are. And, and we couldn't, we couldn't like negate it. We couldn't do all we could do is just receive it. And to yeah. this day, to this day, 
if there's a moment where I feel like someone's saying something, I, I like instinctively put my hand over my heart yeah. and what it, and, and that simple, that simple, just, Oh, like it slows me down and where I had been mm-hmm. so, so trained in false humility, so trained yeah. to push all of that stuff away. Yeah. That was like true to the tenderness of who I am and true yeah. to, I, I, I learned to like actually receive it. And, and really sometimes I need that posture to lead yeah. my heart and my mind. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, I'm telling you friends, this, this book um, is an absolute gift. And um, what, one of the other things, and, and this is, this is what's so great about um, Mark is he, he, he was a, uh, this elder and, and he's, he's a kid at heart in so many ways, but he's, you get him, you go, you go like, on a journey with him and he's, he's going to ask you all the best questions. So that's, that's what gives him the elder status. But we actually hiked the Camino together. Yeah. Um, And I'll tell you what, we, we would walk and then every night pretty much he, he would come up with some charcuterie board and some, some drink and he just would pose a question and like reflect back to what we heard and what he heard and ask bigger questions. And I mean, that's, that's what's so amazing about reading you um, is, is meeting you, um, watching you lead and then reading you. And it's all the same guy. You know, like, and I think you've had those moments where you've like, you've read someone and you're like, that doesn't sound like they speak. It doesn't sound how they actually talk and interact. Like it was just like, oh, this, this is, this is the good stuff. I'm, I'm curious what has, and I think it's a lost art and you, you helped me reclaim it. What has pilgrimage taught you? Um, because you've actually hiked the Camino de Santiago multiple times, but what what has the act of pilgrimage done for your own character formation? I mean, in a way, it's like the trip you and I took together. I think it kind of exposed me, and a lot of a lot of people go go on a pilgrimage, especially the one in to Santiago, and they're like, "Oh, this is gonna be great! I'm gonna walk." 10 or 15 miles a day. Maybe I'll meet some people. I'll have some great time of reflection. And, um, and then there's, there's a great meal at the end of the trail every day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you're in, you're in Portugal and Spain. Yes. But, but I, I think what's been not the, that's, that was my expectation. What the reality was is this is pushing my body. I'm not spending as much time being reflective because I've, just trying to figure out how to follow yellow arrows and get the calories I need speaking Portuguese, you know, like, yes, yes. yes. Um, and then, um, and then another, another thing for me was like realizing I might be in an ideal situation for being reflective, but my heart isn't reflective. Like I want to, you know, my mind is going other places. So just that kind of data coming back is helpful. Probably the most painful thing for me about the pilgrimage we were on is once I got in zone with you, you and the rest of the group, my ego just shot out. And I was just like, I got to prove I'm, I'm, I'm the guy with these people. And I I'd kind of had a break because I was walking alone until I met up with you and no one knew, no one knew who I was or what my reputation was with anyone. And I could just be 
Mark walking the Camino, but suddenly I felt this pressure to perform. Yeah. yeah. And it was very, I'm embarrassed to this day at the kind of gymnastics I did to try and impress you and other people in the group, because I felt, I guess I, it, it made me become aware of the, you know, I'm halfway there internalizing that message that I'm God's beloved yeah. and I don't have to earn it or prove it. So yeah. I think that's, that was one of the, the, the gifts that you gave me was, um, and I, I've had a few leaders really, really live this out in real time for me, but to be someone that offers such, such wisdom and truth and the way of Jesus, and also in real time, um, have an ability to consent to reality of where, yeah, there's parts of you that want to take over and for yeah. you to talk about that. And you weren't alone. We all were. We all were having some of the, it was all revealing something yeah. and exposing something, but it was like, Oh, Mark just opened the door and, and it, and like all of it was silly. All of it was like, you have all of the respect in that room. You're yeah. amazing. We love you. And you're wrestling with this and like, I'm wrestling with my stuff and you're like all, and it's all like silly. It's all like when yeah. you actually say it out loud, but it's so human and it's yeah. so real, but like saying it allowed me to say it allowed Tommy to say it allowed, and it yeah. just opened the door for such depth, but also um, taught me like, man, like in real time, the sooner you can name it and the sooner you can get back to, no, no, this is that posture. The yeah. sooner you can get back to those ninefold paths, the, the sooner you get back to living and walking in embodiment of Christ. Well, I think authenticity is such an important skill for a communicator. Yeah. And um, in two dimensions, one is, you know, being honest about your life. And of course, uh, about your experience, about your feelings, about your your um both your your glory and your flaws yes um hopefully not in a way where you're bleeding yeah. but you're sharing stories from your scars right yes but i think the other the other part is i want my communication to come from my lived experience walking with jesus not from a book i read or a quick little way i can say a tricky phrase that that sticks with people, but I think people can sense it. Does this person, do they know, do they know what they're talking about? Have they, have they experienced it in their life? And I think a person, even that's not the most elegant in their communication, if they've really lived and experienced the reality they're talking about, it's going to come through. Mm -hmm. And um, I got to tell you, Steve, I was like, um, I'm, I'm somewhat insecure around uh, well, not somewhat, very, ins I, I'm insecure around powerful public people. And so I came into our pilgrimage going, you know, having an impression of you. Mm. Oh, he talks a lot of places, um, big rooms. And um, I bet he's, I bet he's kind of, um, kind of shallow, you know? <laughs> and then we get on the trail and I really, my esteem of you just, shot through the roof. I'm like, this guy's the real deal. And if he gets to speak in big rooms, it's because he works harder than twice as hard as the rest of us, mm. you know, and is a, 
is a curious person who's committed to lifelong learning. And I, I get the sense that what you communicate when you have opportunity publicly is just, it's a little teeny bit of the riches of what you're mining out of your curiosity for life. Wow. And, um, and that's, that's so kind and may that be true. May that be so. And yeah, uh, I, I think I, it is. Yeah. Thank I you. I think that, it is. Yeah. I appreciate that. It means, it means a ton coming from you, Mark. Um, you know, I love you. I'm grateful for you friends. Grab this book. Um, actually I I'm going to do a giveaway for this. This is how important I yeah. think it is. Um, and so I'm excited about that. Um, so check out my Instagram at Steve Ryan Carter and Facebook. You'll, you'll be able to see it. Um, but Mark, where can people find you if, you know, they wanted you, you mentioned yeah. you kind of dropped this like a leader lab conversation or they want to yeah. find you. Where's the best place? Yeah. So, um, I have a personal website, markscandrett.com. And then our organization has a site called reimagine.org. The book is called The Ninefold Path of Jesus, Hidden Wisdom of the Beatitudes. There is a, um, that's out by IVP, but there also is a learning lab group guide. And I, I was like a mad professor. I spent a couple of years creating this group guide, piling in it, testing it. And it's, it's my best attempt to say what I do, what people read about and practicing the way of Jesus. Here's my best attempt to say, here's, here's, here's the goods. Here's the tricks. The, the, is, um, is, is that on reimagine.org? Where is that? No, is that, that it's available at ninefoldpath.org ninefold path. Okay. We'll put all this in the show notes, friends. I don't even have this. I heard you referencing something you were working on and like something. So like, I got to get my hands on that thing. So I'm excited. Um, but we'll have all of those links in the show notes. Um, Mark, thank you for joining us. And friends, I, I I really hope that even as you, as you think about the sermon series plan for 2024, I'm praying and hoping and believing that, Yes, we can learn how to move a room. Yes, we can tell a great story. But may you, may you, may you help your people identify that ache. Give them that kingdom vision. Give them experiences around the text and the ideas. Give them moments to to just try it on and practice. And let's be people in this next season who do an even better job at following up so that this gets Mm -hmm. into the life, the soul, and the heart of our people. With that, my friends, much love, grace, and peace, and we'll see you next time on the Crafting Character Podcast. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.